It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. To, uh, to welcome to the kids show. Oh God! This show th- today's show is about kids, kids, which is really funny because we don't have any kids, but we love them. No, we don't. Yes, we do. I hate kids. You say that all the time, and you don't mean it. I do mean it. No, you don't. Sing the song, kids. 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 What's the matter with kids today? All right, yes, we just saw Bye Bye Birdie a couple days ago, and that was wonderful. But it does bring to mind how much I don't like kids. You know, no, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't mean that. I mean he's it. Just saying, he's just being funny. No, I really mean <clears throat> it. I, I'm not. <laughs> it's only because we have some neighbors that... With uh, lot okay. of kids. All right. But you know but what's really you know good? what I tolerate them. I'm good. No, I know you are because know. you you love and adore I do, them, I do love and them. I your really nieces do. and your nephews. I love them and, and mine. Yes, and cousins. Absolutely, and, right? love them all. Love them all. Right. Do you ever wonder what you'd be like as a parent? Yes, I know I'd be great. <laughs> I'd be everything I'm not as a as an <clears throat> uncle, and yes, you'd be a great parent. I would be. You'd be a great dad. Thank you. And, oh. and I'd be a great mom. Yes, you would. Yeah. So, luckily, we'll never know. Well, we're going to talk about it today okay. because there's a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are parents and single parents. Yes, they are. Lots of single parents. And if you were single today at our age, the likelihood of you meeting another single person without kids is very rare. So most people have kids. Yeah. We're, and I we're and I, God knows I dated enough of them. Kids or parents? <laughs> single parents, okay. nuts. I don't know. Didn't you? Oh, no, you haven't. No, I didn't date a lot. I of, did. I dated a couple of mothers. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. Mother effers. <laughs> that, that too, but yeah. I, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, a few, a few mothers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you get, you get, yes. you get the, the drill. The, you get enough of it. You know, you saw it, you watched. It's not easy. It's not easy. Plus, you had parents, and you know. So, not this is a hard thing. Yeah, Rewarding. I, I didn't register in that regard, but I do realize that dating somebody with a kid, you're protective of your child. You don't want to introduce somebody new to them too quickly because you yourself know that these things sometimes don't pan out. They mostly don't sure. pan out. So you don't want to get an attachment between a, a new... Paramore. There's a whole art to dating single parents. There is. That's a whole other episode. Let's say really? that. Well, that no, we'll talk about this? it. Okay, we'll talk about it today. Uh, how can you not avoid that? Because I don't know. I kind of feel like we need to address parenting in a pandemic. Well, that's really sort of front burner okay. right now. But the but the single parent thing is important because there's so many. Um, oh my gosh, tips. You know, tricks, tools. Yes. And Secrets, strategies, uh, and you need to, to be, be on prepared. either side of it. Lots of stuff to know. Not easy to be a parent today. Correct? No, it's not. Not easy to be a parent, period, but 
today in a pandemic, I, I, I'm really curious to talk to our guest today, who's an expert um, in parenting, and let's bring her on as soon as possible, because we have nothing more to say about parenting, because we don't know shit. It's true. But I, would, I can imagine how hard it is to be a parent right now during a pandemic. I can't, well, first of all, I just can't. I, it has to be so hard to be a parent in the age of social media. It's not like when you and I were kids and we just got on our bikes and, bye, Mom, see ya. You know, they don't do that these days. There's so much, um, and I understand, you know, there's so much worry and weirdness and lots more traffic. You have to be much more protective. Right. What's going on? How okay. to get to school? Pick them up. So, who do we have today? Okay. So, we're we have Kristen McDermott on, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a decade of research in resilience. Her resilience training programs have been validated in four studies with researchers from the Duke Clinical Research Institute, published in peer-reviewed journals and proven to improve key outcomes, including anxiety, depression, distress, self-efficacy, and PTSD. She really knows me. I guess so. <clears throat> okay. Kristen has designed resilience training programs for some of the highest-performing people on the planet. She does know me, uh, including Navy SEALs and the LAPD. Her programs have been used in more than 20 hospitals across the country, including at the Duke uh, Cancer, Cancer Institute and the National Institutes of Health. She's also designed programs for school, corporations, and nonprofits that support at-risk kids. Kristen is the author of It Takes Two Minutes to Shift Your Mindset and Build Resilience, a book that breaks resilience down into bite-sized skills. She's also the creator of Resilience-Based Parenting, an online parenting program. Wow. Okay, Kristen, welcome to Dunbean. Kristen, welcome. Thank you. You have a great bio. I love every word of it. You know your well, stuff, thanks. and I'm so glad you're on because you can talk about everything that we can't. Because, like I said, we we don't we know what we know, and then we leave the rest to experts like you. So, welcome. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so you were listening to our little banter. Let's talk about. Don't be too put off by the yeah. fact that I don't like kids. <laughs> I, I, it's it's really it's only true. No, so, okay. it's. Uh, not true. It's great. Okay. It's not, and, and for, I can't speak for Robbie. I tried. I, I did try to have kids on my own. It didn't. She had work. me instead. I have a, I gave birth to a 10 year old baby husband. <clears throat> anyway, um, so okay. let's talk about, um, well, let's talk first about you, about resentment. Cause I know when, uh, in, the forms that you had filled out before the show, our little, you know, sort of pre-get-to-know-you. Um, you talk a lot about resentment, which I find fascinating because kids do resent their parents. And let's start with that, and then we'll kind of dig down, drill down into some more pandemic-related stuff. Well, actually, it's interesting that you want to focus on pandemic because I feel like the pandemic is just exacerbating that resentment that's going on with just people, you know, being on top of each other, not having enough space, not getting to do the normal things that they do to, you know, take care of themselves and relieve anxiety and those kind of things. So it's really a great actual, you know, pairing of things. But the resentment, you know, when I was thinking of it for the show, it's just that I hear a lot of times in my practice just this, this thing that parents want to be able to connect better with their kids and they just don't quite understand what they're doing 
that generates this resentment. And so part of what we do with resilience-based parenting is help people address that specific thing. And I guess one of the biggest ways that we do that is by helping parents have conversations. Like we, we kind of think that conversations are the backbone of every relationship, you know, and this extrapolates to not just parenting, you know, parent-child relationships, but every relationship you can measure how good the relationship is by how good the conversations feel. So like parenting, for example, you know, a lot of times it's very one-sided, you know, one person has the power, it's very agenda-driven. I mean, it needs to be because parents know a lot, you know, they need their kids to, to get that wisdom, but it really helps if there can be also balancing out those one-sided kind of controlling agenda-driven conversations, more information gathering conversations. And again, like that extrapolates to any relationship, right? You want it to feel like it's not always just giving information. It's extracting information and finding out like, what do your kids, what do you need? So what we try to do is break it down into these little small conversations that parents can just pepper throughout their interactions with their kids, not like one big sitting down and having a talk. So we send in our programs just little conversation starters. So, you know, in the pandemic, there are a million things. Like what's one thing we could do in this household that would make you feel like you are having a better time? What's one need that if we could help you get it met, it would help all of us in this household? You know, simple things like that. But again, it's just like inviting your child to get to share and be real with what's going on. Um, I mean, I know I just said a million things trying no, no, to connect no, no. all those. So. I'm, totally, I'm, I'm following you and I want to follow up with a, another question about resentment. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we don't have kids, but we have friends who have kids. Yeah. And I have noticed with some of my friends' kids that there is a lot of resentment. And these are teenagers Mm-hmm. And or maybe even, you know, late teens or even early 20s. Um, I feel bad because my friends as parents did everything they could for their kids. And mm-hmm. I mean everything. In fact, I don't know. One could say that today's parents do too much for mm-hmm. their kids. Again, I got to be really careful with my words here because I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, well, do you have kids? No, I don't. Well, then shut up. Then you have no, you you have no position talking. I'm just saying observation. Mm -hmm. These, these, um, these parents do so much for their kids and I mean everything. And then the kids end up resenting them and being mean to them and talking back to them. And I, I just, I don't, is it, is it me? Do you kind of see that too a little bit? Yeah, I think um, there is, that's an interesting point that you bring up about like when parents do too much. So like one of the key tenets of resilience is self-efficacy, which is a belief that you can have positive impact in your own life, right? Like you can take actions to get what you desire for yourself. And so we prevent our kids from developing that skill when we do too much for them. And that is this sort of cultural thing that happens. I think parents with good intentions, but feel like they need to go and smooth the way Mm -hmm. for their kids instead of allowing their kids to 
you know, experience a consequence, maybe fail, have something difficult happen, but then survive that and realize like, oh, I can, I can course correct. I can manage that. And so, I mean, you hit on a, a really great point, which is when we do too much, we actually do generate resentment because our kids can feel that and they also want to be able to do it. I mean, you're talking about teenagers. It's developmentally appropriate to be starting to have more freedom and have more responsibility making decisions. And so it's our job to give our kids the opportunities to try to do that. And it's hard, but the only way they're ever gonna build the skill of being, being able to trust themselves to make decisions is to get to try. Do you think that resentment that kids feel towards their parents is uh, could be derived from single parents wanting to please themselves sometimes ahead of pleasing their kids and the kids recognize that so they feel maybe deprioritized at times or guilt guilt ridden could that be some of the reason why yeah, they, I mean, they do too so much the thing is is like of course like that makes total sense and it's and it's individual i mean the, that's why we are always trying to start conversations because there's no blanket answer for everyone but you can learn a lot from just asking a child or a, you know a teenager or whatever like hey what's going on what do you need and so it's easy for me as a therapist because that's that's why they're in my office and they're so happy for some adult to actually care and listen not that their parents don't care but there's so much going on in a day and there's so much at stake for parents like we we need our kids to be safe we want our kids to make good grades so they can have better opportunities and have better careers. All those things are important, but sometimes in that shuffle, we forget to just ask kids what they think, like what their vision is. So I think you're totally right about, you know, if a kid's feeling deprioritized, yeah, I mean, that'll, that'll build resentment, but there are a million other things too that will build resentment that can be not relationship ruiners, but they need to come out. You know, if they get if they get heard, then they have a chance to be mitigated. I'm curious about parents that make their kids their best friends. Yeah, that's really interesting because like it's sort of like the opposite of being too controlling, which is kind of where I started, like those parents, like those agenda driven controlling kind of things. The opposite of that is like not having enough boundaries and it actually feels really bad to kids on a subconscious level where they don't really know it, but it feels bad not to have enough boundaries. And that's one of them like that, that just being friends when it's not really appropriate because kids don't know enough to make all of those decisions or be privy to all of those kind of more adultish conversations. And there just are times as an adult that you have to have a strong boundary about something that's that's going to make your kid mad and so it's like it's one of those things that kids won't articulate but it is true that they need to feel safe and secure by really clear boundaries these are the roles these are the expectations this is this is how we do things that make it work in a family and Blurring that parent-child thing when it, to be just friends is doesn't usually yeah. work out super well. Uh, I just thought of something. Do you want to ask a question? Were you? Uh, 
No, okay. I, okay. I have a question. It just occurred to me that maybe the resentment comes from parents who gave kid their kids everything or did everything for them, gave them lots of room and or leeway or I don't know, but they don't. They're sort of they hover. You know, they're like um, mm-hmm. what do they call them? Yeah. Um, and in and then in addition to making them their best friends or make, being friends with their kids. And then when it's time to parent, when it's time to discipline, that's when the kids rebel, and that's where they become resentful. Is that could that be it? It's too. It's almost like by the time a parent learns to assert themselves as a parent or set boundaries, it's too late. I mean, a lot of times it's different. It's different parents, right? So it's like one parent really won't be a boundary setter, but another one will. It's not usually the same person who has like not set boundaries and then suddenly does unless like they're having some outside person tell them, you know, like a therapist or something or another person they're in relationship, like you got to have some boundaries here, Mm -hmm. but you're right. Like anytime someone's going to come in and just out of the blue establish a boundary when it's feeling like it doesn't, there's no cohesive reasoning for things and the kid didn't get any say in like the thought process about what that is. I mean, I find it fascinating, but when you, if you ask kids, if they're just in a resistance mode, right? Because they're just used to just being sort of told, but if you ask them, okay, so help me understand your vision. So how this should work. Should you just be allowed to just roam free, like all over Los Angeles, do whatever you want, no curfew, no whatever, like explain to me then how your life is going to be. Like, what's your vision for the future? When they have to actually put some thought in, they have, even like younger kids, when you say like, okay, so what do you think you should eat then if you're going to resist me trying to get you to eat healthy food? If you actually have a conversation where you're treating them respectfully, help me understand what you think a proper nutritional thing is. They do not end up saying chocolate cake for breakfast or Mm -hmm. every meal. They just don't. Like when you have a conversation, they're like, oh, well, fine. I know. Like I wouldn't feel good. But half the time, no one has those conversations. So then they're just mad. Then they're just resisting. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's a brilliant approach to take with kids because it does respect them and the answers that you're going to get are probably not what you what you're expecting. It's definitely not what they're expecting to hear from a parent in terms of a question. Because when have I ever been regarded as anyone to give an answer as to what what meals what food should I be eating? Uh, what is my curfew? What what should I you know? How do I see myself you know in this world? And I don't see kids ever getting to ask that question. And when they do, they'll probably go, oh, I don't know. Just, you know, whatever you're doing is fine. And then uh, they probably come around to realizing, wow, I got it pretty good, actually. So Yeah, and even like, I mean, even like video games. Okay, so how many hours of video games actually do you think you should be allowed to play? Like, help me understand your life. So you're, you really want to sit in a dark room from Friday night until Monday and not interact with anyone and not going to, I mean, like, they don't, but if you don't put any responsibility on them and you're the person who has to nag and deal and do, 
then they're going to want like every minute they can, they're going to just want that. And they're, they literally won't get up to go pee. They're just, they will just sit there. My, I know this from personal experience. They will sit there for hours. That's very interesting. We, I think I have some friends my age that are in that position. They would like to just play video games all weekend <laughs> because That's of the nagging wife. Me, <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, wow. Uh, really, gr- I, I love that approach. How do you have analytics that back up that as being successful? Well, so, I mean, my thing is like self-efficacy is a really big one, right? And so, you know, all my research on resilience was actually done in the cancer world. I worked with people and their families who were dealing with cancer. And um, so my research comes from that. But the idea that you actually can take action to improve your life and how you're feeling and all those things. Like even when you are actually going to die from your cancer, like in a couple of our studies, these were women with metastatic breast cancer. I mean, it was not, they, they were, their disease was progressing, but when they learned these tools to really you know, take control of what was going on in their mind, take control of how they were taking care of themselves, how they were thinking about things, what they were doing for themselves, they actually perceived their quality of life as better. And so even though they were still dying, and so the idea that you know self-efficacy and self-esteem is another big part of resilience, um, you know, is going to improve your life. Yeah, there's a lot of data around that. And that's really what we're trying to do with kids is just build a level of self-awareness about what your strengths and resources are and like how the way you are thinking about things matters, how it impacts how you feel about yourself, how it impacts how you behave and think about your future. And so it just, it does matter. And so not just my research, but other people's research on those things like strengths, self-efficacy, self-esteem, it really does make for, you know, feeling better and better quality of life. Especially now. Especially now, right? Especially now when you think of how much is out of your control. Sure. I mean, we live life and a lot of it feels out of our control anyway, but in a pandemic, yeah, so much is out of your control. And like, you can't even visualize a future, which is really anxiety producing for people. So then, then it always comes back to, well, what is in your control? It's what's in your control is there are always, there's always something you can do in your control, but there's a lot about how you're thinking about things that is in your control. So do all the rules apply or do they fly out the window with a pandemic parenting rules? Do they become I think I mean that's actually relevant an interesting or, question. Or that's an more necessary. I would say in on like my first response was going to be that they become more relevant because there's just more emotion happening. But on the other hand, I feel like it's also a time to like maybe stop just what you're doing rotely, you know, and like make space for totally different ways of being because it like everything does kind of get thrown out the window, you know? And, um, and that's actually where I feel like kids are way more creative than we are a lot of the time. I mean, some of us as adults manage to keep that creativity, but there was like one of my favorite, favorite TED Talks ever. I think it's the most important. I mean, I think it was the most watched TED Talk ever, but Ken Robinson, but he does one where he talks about um, this research where they showed different ages of people, a paperclip 
And so the like pre-kindergartners versus the elementary school, seventh grade, all the way up to adults, you can imagine that what you could do with a paperclip, by the time you got up here, it was a paperclip. But by the time you got down here, there were like 40,000 things you could do with a paperclip. And it's just such a fascinating example of how we sort of, I think we educate the creativity out of our selves if we're not careful. And um, so the pandemic is a great time to like tap into that creativity that your kids have, especially as an adult when you're just overwhelmed and stressed. And it's hard to think well when you're a single mom having to, you know, do the school with your kid and do however you're doing like the shopping and like, I mean, there's just a million things and work. And I mean, it's just overwhelming. So how do you do it? How do you be a single parent in a pandemic? Um, I think you've got a, you know, a big part of resilience is mobilizing whatever support you do have, you know, not being afraid to actually reach out and ask for help and accept help, which is a lot of us aren't okay with, you know, that's a hard thing to admit that we might need help support, whatever that is. Um, I think like getting clear about like trying to take um, control of your calendar I mean, now we're seven or eight months in, I don't even know how many months in, speaking of calendars, right. but I know in the beginning, people you know, were not getting dressed and they weren't, like their day was just kind of whatever it was. And so people lost structure and humans, we need structure, we need routine, we need to be able to kind of set our expectations, especially with kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, finding a way to create that structure. I mean, now kids are in school. It's horrible school a mm -hmm. lot of the times mm -hmm. with the way it's happening online but at least there's a little structure happening sure. but I think that's important you know to try to yeah structure I mean I was raised by a single mom and I had tons of freedom I was mm -hmm. a latchkey child I could come and go I was free range baby and I'll tell you what I wanted mentoring. I wanted structure. I wanted discipline. No, I you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you did. Yes, I did. You might have craved no, no, it, but you, I wanted you, what, it. You didn't like the discipline you got. There was no discipline. Oh, really? I really. Daddy I, gave you some discipline nah, you know, when, he, not, uh, when mom complained about you. Okay, so if I if I was out maybe too late. Okay. But mm -hmm. you know, come on, who who doesn't okay. do that when you're a teenager? But. I know that, and even as an adult, I, um, I love being coached. I, mm -hmm. I love my husband. Mm -hmm. I love him for that reason. He, he helps me, coaches me, shows me things, uh, teaches me. I, I, I love it. I think kids need it. I think everybody needs it still. I'm learning. Yeah, we're all you hit on a really, that's actually a really key resilience point is um, the ability to take feedback like being coached like that. And it's one of the things that's actually going to where we sort of started, where you started about kids who have too much sort of done for them mm -hmm. is they are terrified of failure mm -hmm. and feedback. Like feedback means you're doing something wrong. Right. And so it's like a big step to turn that around and realize that, yeah, yeah how are you supposed to know something until you know it? And like, it's a part of crying? learning. Hmm? You're crying? No. Oh, I thought you were crying. He's very emotional. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. you're talking about this. Well, last night, okay. L last night, I, I just 
I don't know if you know this, you probably don't. I lost my parents in the last six oh, months. No. Yeah. And um, occasionally, you know, I'm still kind of grieving. Oh, I am. And but it, it sneaks up on you, grief, you know, just Absolutely. when you think you're you're past it or past the worst. Um, man, it just all of a sudden, boom, you're just hit with it. And we were watching um, a show on Netflix last night that takes place in Scotland. And everybody has a Scottish accent, as did my mom. Mm. So they were talking about, they were using some phrases that my mother would use in the same accent that she had. And I started to cry and I could not stop crying. And I don't even know why I'm saying this. But Robbie, as I was crying, just this is a little side story. As I was crying, you started to kind of cry. It, it was kind of sweet. There was a moment about a relationship. There that, was a just yes. a sort of a sympathetic moment mm-hmm. where he felt my pain and grief and sadness and anyway, moving on. So I just I, I thought you were crying for a second as uh, I was telling you. No, this. okay, but I'm listening. Okay, so um, I'm, I'm I'm actually interested in the in the coaching thing because I think that Kristen is hitting on something that. Uh, you saying you're being very open to coaching, but yes. you're not that open to coaching, I have to say. Well, so, I never said I <laughs> was good at it. I said <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. And and I probably need it. Uh, and as a result, I because I think I was so independent as a kid, I had those uh-huh. survival skills so nailed down when I was a kid that it served me really well in adulthood. And I am a very self sort of, educated and coached person and as a result i make i believe that those skills come in handy in my role as a, as a life coach and and fitness trainer but anyway um but i wanted to make a point about um giving kids spoiling kids or coddling or or overprotecting them to the point where you're right they don't like to fail and they can't fail and failure is not an option and feedback is really frightening and scary yeah, and I mean, it is, it's one of those things that doesn't really take a lot for people to get over. Like if more people just had this conversation and you, because you can find so many examples in the world of people you admire who learned to take feedback or who only are where they are, like sports figures or whatever, because of coaching and that kind of a thing. And every single successful person in the world has had giant failures, but if you don't have that reframe, just a lot of kids are feeling like they're just not supposed to, they're supposed to know. They're supposed to already do it right. They're supposed right. to already succeed. Perfect. The perfect. best. Competitive. Correct. Right? Correct. Yes, yes, yes. I see a lot of that. I, mm-hmm. And, and um, that kind of breaks my heart a little bit because growth is failing. I mean, I think it's soul crushing, actually. This, the way we live, how competitive we are in this society that and in terms of the way we educate our kids and I do not have an alternative and my kids have to do it too and but I mean I do think it's really hard and for some kids it's just it's too hard you know it's just too much to have to compete this way but there are plenty of people who you know figure it out and don't have that killer mindset but it helps to have a way to talk about that so how do how would you advise parents right now during a pandemic to keep their kids motivated, uh, enthusiastic, interested, curious, uh, uh, independent? You know the things that that you teach your kids those those skills. But you're home, you're confined. How do you do it? I mean, I would definitely start with asking them first. 
Like, I always think that I'm always amazed by what happens when I ask them, like, what's, what is, what's the one thing we could do in this household to have this culture that we're all stuck in every day feel better to you? And, you know, there's another conversation that we were talking about the other day, which is about how, like, within a household, there's often someone who feels left out of one of sort of the family values, like maybe the family likes to watch sports, but there's someone who doesn't care. Or the family likes to talk about politics, but there's someone who doesn't like that. And so just having those conversations where you can sort of identify that not only what you need, but that like, oh, everyone has something going on where they're feeling like, oh, it could be better for me if it was a little quieter, mm -hmm. like in the morning, or mm -hmm. if there was a little downtime or the family took a walk, like what if we all took a walk together? But I definitely think that, you know, the onus is not only on the parent to figure that out. Like kids have really great ideas about that, about what they need and what they want. And I mean, you're not always willing to do them, but it can't hurt to ask. Agree. Again, you're, you're, you're respecting your kids. You're, you're giving them the ability to tell you what, how they would like to see this unfold. And think about that in future relationships. Right. right. Like right. you don't, if you raise someone who expects their partner to read their mind, well, that, which happens a lot, that doesn't. <laughs> right. uh, uh, right. Oh, uh, I can't tell you how many times I've said, I'm not a mind reader. That usually happens on the tennis court during doubles. How do you expect me to know what you're thinking? Just say it. Right. You have no problem talking everywhere else. Just come on, say it. Well. After seven years, we want to, you know, expect still things. well. Okay, so uh, my question here is, when is the proper time to introduce someone you're dating to your kids? And there's different ages, uh, whether they're young, let's say under ten years old is a certain age group, uh, mm -hmm. over ten is another age group, uh, under twenty, over twenty, it's a it's a completely different thing. It's it might be on the first date you meet them when they're and they're you know if they're living at home and they're twenty mm -hmm. years old. So, but uh, I can understand parents wanting to be protective of their kids and not introduce them to somebody they're dating early on. Is there, there's no really right or wrong answer there, is there? I mean, the answer is annoying, right? Because it really is based on every kid or every, every child is different because you always like, whenever you're thinking of kids, you want to follow their lead. So some kids really want to know like some kids are really curious about like what's going on like what was going on in the divorce now that doesn't mean you're going to share stuff that's not age appropriate but some kids like really do want to process it some kids just really pull away right some kids are really like you can if you talk to them you'll know that they are not ready for you to be even thinking about dating and so you gotta like meet your kid where they are and and you don't, again, you don't have to be a mind reader, but like the more little conversations you have and the more that you get to feel like you, you have a pretty good read on your kid and your kid is, is confident, like telling you what they think, like, even if it's yucky, you know, and like that thing in divorce is hard for people to navigate because like a lot of times there are these unspoken rules, like, you know, you don't want to say anything bad about the other person, but your kid can sense that you're pissed. So that's not, that's not building your kid's inner wisdom. I call it inner wisdom, like that gut feeling. 
like you don't want to confuse your kid. You want them to be able to trust their gut, which means you got to come clean about your emotions, even if you're not coming clean about the fact that you're whatever person had an affair, whatever that is. So I always feel like, like try to be congruent, like try to be real with your kid without giving too much information. So then you build this trusting two-way street where you can ask questions and learn and know where they are and give them the information that they need. I mean, it's not an easy answer, but. No, and I'm sure it's different if you have girls as opposed to boys and if you're a mom as opposed to a dad who's dating. So it, it all has a, a different dynamic that uh, everything is kind of fluid and different. But the thing is between all of them is if you have the ability to have good conversations with your kids, then you can get through anything. Because yeah. even if the conversation is, I'm not ready for you to be dating or yeah. I don't like that person you're dating, right? you can get through that. Kids you know, have, but if you, yeah. No, I was just saying, kids get a vibe off of somebody quickly. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, first impressions are very important usually mm -hmm. to them. Uh, whether they meet them directly or indirectly or how, or they see them from afar, they can pick up on things. And uh, usually they're probably spot on. I, <laughs> get, I gave my mom's boy, first boyfriend a hard time. Rightfully so? No, he was the nicest guy. Oh. But I, I was so, ready. I was 10. Well, that's only a year after they got divorced. And yeah, so. he was the first guy, and I didn't know, I didn't trust, I didn't like, I was territorial, I was possessive. I, and again, nothing, it wasn't his fault. He was super sweet. I mm -hmm. just didn't, I thought, who is this man? Who is this, is this replacing my father? Yeah. Um, but I, I, as I grew up and started liking boys myself, I could care less who my mom was dating. But uh, did I your remember, father date soon after? The no, divorce? no. It took my father years to introduce me to. Oh, but that doesn't mean he wasn't dating. It just took me years he, to introduce. He um, probably hid it from me for for a really long time, which okay. uh, is bad because kids are intuitive and they're smart and he was hiding it until I was, I tell you, 22 years old, I think, was when I met his first girlfriend. So you would have preferred that he went ahead and told you earlier? Yes, I do. Um, I think there was a lot of, um, what's the word, uh, when you hide, such, um, oh, hello, brain freeze. There's a word when you hide, you shroud, there's another, but it's not shrouding. It, um, uh, what is that? Subterfuge. Thank you. I guessed mm -hmm. it. I kept what thinking, do I get? Ding, 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 ding. Okay, For some reason, I was thinking charcuterie. What is, why am I thinking charcuterie? <laughs> you it's must not be hungry. Subterfuge. Um, it, there was too much from my dad. And I think that spoke to his own, his unresolved feelings towards my mom mm -hmm. more than anything. Not that he was ashamed or, I think he just was so conflicted because he probably still wasn't over my mom. But anyway, um, so yeah, single parenting isn't easy. It is not easy dating a single parent. However, I will say that COVID might come very in handy, um, to slow things down. Uh, it, you know, I see, I tend to try to see the good, you know, the positives and everything. Mm. So mm -hmm. because people are so in too much, too many people are in a hurry and this is just forcing everybody to slow down because you have to, because it's a matter of life and death. So Right. 
Yes, I was going to turn it around a little bit. And what advice, Kristen, do you have for parents of dating age kids during this pandemic? Obviously, good question. Kids want to date because yes. dates. Kids are dating, whether we know right. it or you know That's your parents know. That's a good question. It. Thank you. So, you know, what advice do you have for parents to allow kids to get together, socially distant, if possible? We know that doesn't really work. Uh, How do you stop horny teenagers from being horny and during a pandemic? What they, I mean, they're going to be you who they are. can't stop horny adults from doing it, I'll what tell do you, you that. Do? Right. <laughs> right. Hormones I mean, are this raging. Is, this is a huge source of pain in families right now is just kids living in rules that in because of the pandemic that just feel too restrictive. I mean, it is really causing so much friction. I think you hit the nail on the head of one of the most difficult things there is. And so what it brings up for me is just this idea that, you know, when we tell our kids in a non-pandemic time, when we tell our kids, no, you can't do that. And we mean, I care about you. I love you. I want to keep you safe. They often hear, I don't trust you. Right? So there's that going on, which is needs to be resolved. Like at some point you want your, you want to raise a child that you feel like can be trustworthy to make their decisions about handling themselves going out. So now you have a pandemic on top of it when a lot of people are already in that thing. It's like, why don't you trust me? Why are you just controlling me? And now it's like parents are legitimately thinking, well, I can't trust you. There's too much at stake. You can't do that. I mean, again, there is not an easy answer for this one because everyone has a different threshold. I mean, the families that I work with, like some people literally aren't leaving the house. Some people are acting like things are pretty normal. So, I mean, it's a family issue, but it's an interesting one because you, it's exacerbating the trust issue where kids don't feel like their parents trust them and how how are parents going to get to a point where they trust their kids if they actually don't trust how their kids are thinking about things? So I don't know. The pandemic one is super hard because maybe you really don't respect how your kid is thinking about the pandemic. But I would advise you to look for other ways, other aspects where you can respect the way your kid is thinking about something. You want to find ways where you're like, you know what, you've got that. The way you're handling your academics, you don't need me anymore. You want to find those places. This is, but the pandemic might not be one. This is one of those times I, I'm sort of glad that I don't have kids because, wow, I'm already a mega warrior. I mean, super, as Robbie knows, I worry about everything. Um, we have a dear friend who just sent her um, daughter off to college. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, to be 18 in college. I mean, I know what I was like at 18 in college, college freshman how how do you do that? How do you yeah, wear a mask? And how do you how? It's completely different. I mean, right kids now. at that age, they want to spread their wings and they want to experiment. And then how can you know? More you than their wings them. are getting spread, I'll tell you that. Right, they're spreading everything, but um, hopefully right. not germs. But um, wow, that that requires an amazing amount of trust and faith. Mm-hmm. And God bless her. I I I applaud her if she's listening to this show, and hopefully she will. I think it's fantastic. Um, and, well, and, have, and her, her and daughter. I have a lot of, 
Her daughter just happens. Her daughter just happens to be, I think, a very smart and responsible young lady. But hey, man, it's college. But it's come, you know. I have a lot of college age kids in my practice because I just happen to love that age, and way more they are more of them are on the side of being really responsible and cautious than they are. As a matter of fact, I don't even even through the people that they like their stories they tell me of the people who are in their world who are not being really respectful of the virus those kids are not they are in the minority and they are being like they are being what's the word um like managed by their peers like for the most part those age kids that i have experienced which is not that many but although i have a freshman and college son too they are being they are they are paying attention they are not being flippant well a they're being forced to because they got to go away to school and the schools are super serious, but B, they're like, they don't want to get sick and they don't want to get put in a hotel for two weeks. And, but I think that this brings up for me though, that's like, what's the underlying belief as a parent that you have about your child? And I think, you know, I was just on a podcast last week and the guy, I said to the guy, he was talking about his 13 year old. And I said, well, why don't you ask him what he thinks about that? And he was like, and he's a life coach too. And he was like, wait, ask my own kid. He's like, no, if I don't like control every move, he's going to end up like homeless on the street. And I was like, that's so interesting that your belief is that he, and he was being, he was being exaggerative or exaggerating, but like the truth was he actually really doesn't trust his kid to make good decisions. Uh I was like, well, at some point you're going to have to build little ways that you can start to trust your kid or that's not like, that's not just okay. It seems to that's not what, ever trust your kid. And you know? that brings back the resentment thing. I think that happens later on from the kid towards the parent. If that I'm not being trusted. Totally. I, you don't know me. Ex- that, I mean, that is it. You don't know me. Mm-hmm. And human beings want to be seen and heard and validated, even if disagreed with. And, and parents have the really the obligation to do that for their kids in my opinion that's that's just all they want they don't even have to agree but your kids want you to see them and hear them don't we all though as adults exactly i mean really right exactly i know and by the way the worry though i I get i'm worried when every time ravi leaves goes out of the store i kind of cross my fingers and it's a tough it's 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 a tense time it's, it's, it's you know, time. we're all yeah. in living in fear and it does, you, you, you do really, wow, do you see what comes out of people, what they're all about, the best and the worst. This is mm-hmm. such an interesting time to be a human being. Can, not, I, cl- not just can I clarify something that I said earlier? Yes. It's not that I don't like kids or I hate kids. I don't like bad parenting of, of good kids. <laughs> and it's bad parenting that has caused you know, what, who are good kids to go bad and to revolt and to yell and scream and the parents do let them get away with that and yes, no discipline. So this is, this is, oh my God, unfortunately, I, I, I understand. Okay. No, but I understand, but you can't blame the kids. You can't blame, we've, we, we do, you can't, you can't blame the parents. It's easier to blame no, the kids. No, but you, you have to, you have, <laughs> the, it's the parents who discipline. The kids well, are kids. Yes. Kids will be kids. They don't know at six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, they don't know to, to use, you know. No, they don't. Know. Indoor voices when they're, or outdoor voices when they're, you know. Or not, no voices. When you use their indoor voice. Uh, Kristen, we're going to wrap up the show, so let us know how people can find you. Oh, 
So um, if they go to www.mcdermottmethod.com and McDermott Method is M-A-C. Um, and we have done an actual forward slash done being single. If any of your any of your listeners actually want, there are a couple of free things there. And yeah. we're actually, um, we have this resilience-based parenting course that we open quarterly. Um, it's just, you get these little short 10 minute audios in your inbox. But um, so we're going to, we're going to give a discount for your listeners and actually open it up special very just for kind. a few Thank days. Thank you. So um, very nice. Very nice and very necessary. You are right a now. wonderful resource, and we would love to. Thank you know, you. You're also have a you really great a, guest. Wonderful guest. And you're super Thank pretty. Thank you so much. I really appreciate super it. And you're pretty. super easy <laughs> on the you. eyes. <laughs> Never Thank hurts. You. Right? Yes. We love guests and like you. You have a great room raider rating of 10 over 10. You are the package, yes. girl. All right. Awesome. Are you single? Wow. You should not. I've been married for 28 years. Okay. So you are single. How crazy is that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, so you're not done. You're not done being married. <laughs> done being married. That's the next episode. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank this you. has been so great. Really excellent, and we hope uh, lots of our listeners that are single parents get a lot out of it. I know they will. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're a great co-host. And, thank and you. As you are you. You really are. I got to give you some props. Well, thank you, Lori. Uh, that's it for us. We are done. With We're this episode of Done Being Single, yes. you can find us, uh, follow us. Oh, God, Jesus she never Christ. Gets us you right. can find us. Three years in and she's still at done, I know. At Done Being, well, you know what? I've had I've been in menopause since the day we started this show. So. Yeah, how long is that crutch going to last? Years. <laughs> okay. I can always you use it. You are milking as an that as if it's. Well, okay. it's true. All right, very good. Anyway, um, look, I forgot what I was going to say. Thanks. You can find us at dunbeansingle.com. Turn that off, Wicked Witch of the West. I said it was menopausal. I'm not a witch. No, I didn't. Yes. Big difference. You're right. That was for my. Was that was for your mother-in-law. Channeling, channeling something else. Okay, shut up. Uh, you can find us at dunbeansingle.com, and you can follow us. And please do, at dunbeansingle, everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, yes. Facebook. And, you know, contact us if you have questions, problems, issues, dilemmas, great stories. You know, we want to hear you. We do. And you're so, sitting around doing nothing, so you have no excuse. That's true, too. So contact us. Everybody have a great week. Thank you. Stay safe. We'll be back again next week with our show. All right. Bye. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends, Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.